Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to the Eat Blog Talk podcast made for you, food bloggers who are seeking value for your blogs and also for your lives. In today's episode, I will be talking to Morgan Wiebolt from Systems to Skyrocket and also Morgan Manages Mommyhood, and we will be discussing how to use Google Search Console to plan your editorial calendar. Morgan is a mom of two boys, ages five and three, and she writes the blog Morgan Manages Mommyhood, where she shows moms how to make being a mom easier and how to make being a kid memorable through hidden veggie recipes and fun kid food. A hardcore nerd for life, she found a love for analytics, SEO, and productivity, and now teaches bloggers how to create content more effectively effectively through keyword research and editorial planning. Morgan, I love that you are a self-proclaimed nerd. I think we should all embrace our inner nerdiness. I'm excited to get into our chat today, but first take a minute to give us a quick fun fact about yourself. Yeah. So fun fact about me is that I actually met my husband at a Memorial Day party. And then three years later, my son was born on Memorial Day. One of those weird (gasps) things. Oh, I love it. (laughs) So we like Memorial Day around here. That's, I bet you guys celebrate Memorial Day like crazy. Yeah, except no one ever wants to celebrate his birthday because everyone's out partying. Oh, sure. Everyone's gone. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. That's a great fun fact. Now let's get to our topic today. And the reason you're here, I know we have a lot to discuss. And our topic is how to use Google Search Console to plan your editorial calendar effectively and also how to find keywords to create content that your users and Google want you to be creating. And then if we have time at the end, we can squeeze in a little bit about productivity because I know we both love that topic. (laughs) Yes. So you are speaking to me on this topic, Morgan, because I went without an editorial calendar or any keyword or topic research for years before I realized how big of a role it played in success as a food blogger. I think we all have those urges to create recipes that we love or that are maybe family treasures, but that don't necessarily resonate with anyone else. We might be passionate about the, I don't know, ground beef casserole our grandma used to make, but it's very possible that literally nobody else in the world wants to make it. Well, maybe ground beef casserole is pretty good, but but I'm curious to hear from you. Did you go through a similar evolution where you learned after a period of time that these things were important or did you dig into analytics right away? I wish I could say I was always really good about it. 
but I was not. I started my blog when I was pregnant with my first son. And then I did the whole, you know, I thought I was going to have this blog and then I had a baby and then there was no blog because I had a new baby. And then about a year later, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I just kind of, you know, I did the whole new blogger thing where I was like, this is what we ate today. And then this is what we did over the mm-hmm. weekend. You know, the, the things that no one cares about except for my parents. So eventually I was like, okay, I'm going to take this serious. I'm going to start actually making money because I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'm kind of need to do they need spending money. I spend too much money on Starbucks. I eventually started figuring out what kind of content I should be creating, content that actually provides value to people versus here's my day. I always liked Google Analytics. I was the person that has the app on my phone. Oh, oh yeah. But I never really did anything with it until I started learning about SEO and then I figured out search console and then I got real nerdy with it. So eventually it was a slow process to figuring out what I actually needed in terms of real calendars and keywords and all that good stuff. So what what are the first things you said that you got like real nerdy with it? What are those first little gems that you pulled out of that? Yeah. So I think the first thing when I finally got onto Search Console, the first thing I figured out was what Google saw me for versus what I wanted to make and what I thought people would like and what I thought people would be searching for on Google. It's always a surprise to people when I'm like, okay, it's great that you're doing all this very specific kind of recipe or this very kind of specific post, but Google sees you as an expert in this instead because sometimes what we want Google to see us for, we're not being seen for. And that all comes down to figuring out what kind of content we should be creating and all that good stuff. But I think the first thing for me was that I saw that in my situation, what Google was bringing me traffic for was these kids playlist posts, which sounds really silly because I do a lot of kid food, but I had these playlists of songs that wouldn't make you want to pull your hair out, but making more just to kind of play with the idea. I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do, this is kid friendly songs. Let's try country songs. Let's try hip hop. And then my search traffic blew up because Google was like, okay, she's an expert in this. She's making more content on it. And then my traffic started to grow organically that way. That's interesting. The songs, your playlist songs. How did you get into that? So we, we have a lot of dance parties in my house. Oh, nice. I cannot stand the baby shark songs of the world. Oh my gosh. I, I love you. I feel like I'm the only person on the planet that like my ears start bleeding when yeah. that song comes on. It's oh, it's pretty it terrible. Is terrible. So I was trying to find songs that I could listen to with my kids that didn't have um, f bombs all over and weren't have you know if my kid went to preschool singing it I wouldn't you know turn red. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my goal. So I found a list and uh, my friends started asking me and I was like I'm just gonna put it on my blog so you can find it later. <laughs> Because back back then was when my blog was just this thing that I shared with my friends and my family. And I thought was going to make me a millionaire just by sharing these silly things that I did. But yeah, I posted it. And then I never really noticed that it was bringing me traffic from Google. And then I saw when I went to Search Console that I was on the first page for kid-friendly songs. And it went from there. (laughs) So really, you had no idea until you started digging in Search Console. No, because every time I would go into Google Analytics, I would just look at Pinterest. Because I thought that Google was, you know, just that obnoxious thing that I was never going to figure out. I feel like a lot of us have that concept in our heads of Pinterest is the easy option. Google is the difficult one. It's just too much brain work to figure out. So why not just work on Pinterest? So I'd always look at Pinterest and be like, okay, this pin's doing well. I'm going to do more content about it. But Pinterest doesn't really, as much, doesn't see the authority of things as much as Google does. 
Absolutely. So from there, where did you go? So you realized you were being seen as you were being seen by Google as an expert in a certain area. So then you started creating more of that. Then did you start digging more into Google Console? And what did you learn from there? Yeah, so I knew that I didn't want to be the music chick forever and ever, because there's always so much music you can talk about. So I went and I first I made a list of what I wanted to be known for. And for me, that's hidden veggie recipes. I'm I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old who do not like anything veggie related. And I know moms struggle mm-hmm. with that. So I wanted to kind of be the person to help with that. So I started looking and I found in Google that none of that stuff was ranking. And they couldn't figure out why. So I said, did some more digging and I was finding things that were ranking. None of it was really clicking. So in, from there, I said, okay, I need to make myself an authority. How can I do that? I need to make more content that is valuable to readers about what I'm talking about. So not just a one-off post with some hidden spinach, but instead cornerstone content, a pillar of my content that tells everything someone would ever want to know about hidden veggies, everything someone might Google to find about that. And then I answered it. And then I built content around that. And now my content does rank pretty well for hidden veggie stuff. I love that story because so often I hear bloggers saying like, oh, I tried to become authority on X topic, but that's just not what people were liking. But maybe it's just a matter of they weren't trying hard enough and they weren't providing that cornerstone content and making themselves an authority. So instead of like you embracing your kid music, you were like, no, I don't want to be the music lady forever. I am interested in veggies for kids. And I like that you just like kind of made that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people think that if, I should also note that hidden veggie recipes are not a huge search. It's a very small percentage of the world that's looking for spinach brownies, but (laughs) there are people out there. I think part of it is also being okay with targeting a smaller demographic and knowing that if I, you know, a lot of people think Google, like, you know, if they build it, they will come, but that's just not how it works. Like you can't just Mm -hmm. like throw it up there and hope, you know, Google's going to find it and love it answering what people are looking for. I would go into face like mom Facebook groups, I'm like what kind of issues do you have with your kids eating vegetables? And then I would go and find the questions in Google um, that people were specifically asking, answering those questions, creating content on those questions, asking my friends, like if you're trying to get your kid to eat spinach, what are you Googling versus just kind of hoping flying by the seat of my pants? And Yeah, for sure. I love the concept of well, first of all, using those Google questions, they're kind of like gold, right? It's like, oh, this is what people are wanting. But also just trying to think in terms of a user, like you just said, ask your friends, go to Facebook groups yeah. where there's a specific topic and just see what people are asking there and then answer those questions. I think more than ever, that's kind of the strategy that's working with Google because Google is putting the emphasis on authenticity and what do people actually want when they come to your sites? You know, those are the things that we need to start thinking about. And I feel like analytics are like a secret, honest little nugget of gold, right? (laughs) There's, there's such truth hiding inside of them, but they're kind of secret because nobody really wants to go check them out. But then once you do, it's kind of addicting, like, oh, this is really interesting. It's a rabbit hole for sure. 
It is. You definitely have to schedule time for it. But the analytics are just sitting there waiting for us to dig into them. But I feel like so many bloggers are intimidated by them because their numbers and their analytics. And we don't typically thrive on analytics. We thrive on creativity and producing content. So Morgan, do you have suggestions about how we can switch gears and see the need to dive into that analyzing mode? Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, it's, I always tell people when I'm doing, when I'm digging into their analytics or if I'm giving them keyword analyses that it is not my opinion. It is 100% fact. Like it's fact-based. It is exactly what Google, especially search console. It is what Google is telling you. It's giving you this information because like you said, Google wants people think like Google hates me. Google hates me. Google is an algorithm. It does not hate you. But what it really wants is it wants to provide content and can provide value to their user. They want people to keep coming back to Google. They don't want them to go to Bing or no, I don't even know what's left anymore. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Don't either. Like you don't even know anymore. But they don't want people to find other sources. So they want the top ranking content to answer people's questions. By looking at the analytics, we're really finding out what people are looking for, what Google is seeing you as and why they are providing your information to people and why you are a valuable aspect on the internet. So by using that Google Analytics and by using Search Console, we're really getting that information the facts are going So that's why I always tell people, even if you just say, okay, once a week for an hour on Mondays, I am going to schedule in this time to kind of look through my Search Console, look through Google Analytics, see what's doing well, See what's not and then try to figure out why. It's just really valuable. Yeah, it is almost like you have to just schedule it in. And I promise you, if you're trying to avoid it, once you get in, you'll kind of get addicted. Because I went through that whole like... I don't want anything to do with it. And then I realized I had to. So I went in, started playing around, and then I got obsessed. I'm like, okay, I need to back off. And so you need to like set parameters for yourself. But I like your recommendation to just schedule it in, even if it's just like an hour a week, and just make yourself switch gears. Yeah. Because you really do need to do. I mean, if if you aren't digging into it, you really should. Yeah, it's the same as... I'm always hesitant to schedule my yearly physical at the doctor because I'm like, I'm healthy. I'm fine. It'll be fine. I don't need to do that. Or like the dentist, like my teeth are clean, but you should still do it because you just, you need to do these things. Um, It's funny because I, I have a dentist appointment today. So (laughs) there you go. And I was actually considering canceling. I was like, you know, I really don't, my teeth look great this morning, but (laughs) yeah, exactly. But you know, it's preventative measures where I have a lot of my clients come to me and they're like, I need to work on Google because Pinterest changed their algorithm. And now my traffic plummeted. Yes. Google's will change its algorithm, but it's always with user experience in mind. Mm. Pinterest changes its algorithm based on, I don't know. No one, no one knows. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. What is it? Exactly. No one knows. Um, and usually Google, it always comes down to user experience. Like, are you providing to the user what they're looking for? I love that. It's like Google is like a solid, steadfast friend. Like yeah. he's always got your back. <laughs> it's yeah. like predictable. We've got user experience in mind and there are other platforms where we don't necessarily know what's going on or what is on their mind. We have no idea, but with Google, we pretty much always know. So I like that. Exactly. And then, like I said, 
you know, even you'll, you'll hear people go, well, I hit Google update and then everything dropped to zero and I'm getting no Google traffic. But chances are, and I've done this, I, I like to stalk those Facebook groups and then people complain. I like to stalk and then stalk their blog. And I almost always go to their blog. I'm like, well, this is why. Because you're writing content with either ease in mind or, you know, money in mind or whatever it is. You're not thinking about the user. Google always wants to please the user. They want people to find what they want on Google. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So editorial calendars are super important, as you and I know, to have for food bloggers, because there's a lot going on and planning is essential. So give us some effective ways that we can use Google Search Console to create and manage an editorial calendar. Yes, this is where I get real nerdy. I'm a huge fan and proponent, and I try to get all of my clients, I like beg them to start batching because it just makes life so much easier. So let's just give you the example of, let's say you're on the first page for tomato sauce, like pasta sauce from New Jersey. So pasta sauce is like in my blood. So let's say you're on the first page for marinara. And then you're like, well, I'm just going to work on, let's say, you know, before you look at Search Console, you're like, well, I made curry last night. I'm going to work on curry. That's not a good idea. I mean, you know, it might be a great, fine idea. But you really want to build off of that original concept if you're doing really well for pasta sauce. What can we put into your editorial calendar that either A, uses that pasta sauce or that builds off of the person who is looking for that pasta sauce? So I would probably tell my clients to make a big batch of that pasta sauce and do two or three posts recipes that reflect off of that. You can interlink, you know, have those content that people can always, won't be bouncing off your site. They can go from one to the next to the next. And then you can create three different pieces of content in one afternoon. So like, let's say you just did a meatballs. So you'd have meatball posts, you have a spaghetti and meatball post. And then you have, maybe you're going to do a spaghetti and meatball casserole. Or you're going to do a bolognese, and then you can turn the bolognese, you turn your pasta sauce into bolognese, turn the bolognese into lasagna, and then you can go from there. Batch it that oh, way. Really great. Yeah. It really builds up your editorial calendar, so then you can say, okay, this Friday, I'm going to post the bolognese. So Friday after that, I'm going to do the lasagna. Friday after that, maybe I'll do breathable Italian dinners, like a roundup. How close in time do you recommend keeping similar posts like that when you talk about batching? Way back when it mattered a lot more, back when people were actually looking at your front page, Google doesn't care as long as you're consistent. The Google wants user experience, number one, to consistency. They don't want you to post five times in one week and then not post again for two months. Let's say you had seven different pasta posts. You posted them every Friday for seven weeks. That's fine. It's really not the end of the world as long as you're consistent in your posting. I hear people say, well, I have, you know, eight carrot recipes and I don't want to post them back to back. You know, obviously you don't want to post them all in one week, but I tend to tell my clients, just spread them out for your editorial calendar, just for your own ease. So now, you know, you have seven pieces of content for seven weeks um, and you can fill up the rest of your calendar. But unless you have an RSS feed, which most email people will tell you not to do, it really does not. So let's say that your marinara sauce, you find seven ways to make recipes dealing with marinara sauce. Could you post those every Friday? And then, you know, 
other times during the week, other days during the week, post other content? Yes, exactly. So let's just say you had these seven posts and then you also had a cookie and a muffin and then, you know, something totally right. It doesn't matter. As long as it still goes towards your avatar, like the main person you're helping, you're good. You're consistently providing that information that your avatar wants. Exactly repeatedly and on a regular basis. Okay. I like that. And then kind of to go along with what you were saying, you could also do like, you know, not necessarily a recipe about marinara sauce, but you could do an instructional video. You could do like how to make this in the instant pot and you could do like step-by-step photos or, you know, you could like really go crazy with any topic. I mean, you can get down to the nitty gritty with just about any recipe really. And then you can even, you know, to get real nerdy with it, you can get into very specific components. So if you wanted to do a whole post about how to freeze sauces, that would be really great. So you can show how to freeze a cream sauce and then how to freeze a marinara sauce, a tomato-based sauce, these different sauces. And then you have, you can link, hey, you now that you know how to freeze tomato sauce, here's my marinara sauce. Now that you know how to freeze this sauce, here's this sauce. But again, you're providing value to those people. I love that. So you're kind of thinking beyond the recipe then. Yeah. Beyond the actual marinara sauce. And then you go to sauces. Mm-hmm. And then your doors open up to even more people. They're it's like, wow, style. she's a she's an amazing <laughs> expert in this area. I'm going to her blog every day. <laughs> exactly. I actually just saw someone, a friend of mine post. She's a very free blogger. And she just did a post and it was called our eggs dairy free. She did a whole post about it, but it's just, you, you don't yeah. think about it, but people are Googling that. Yeah, absolutely. Have, I know my friends are like, well, I just go to Pinterest for recipes. And I personally always go to Google for recipes because that's just who I am. But people Google specific questions all the time. That's why those, like you said, those questions on Google are gold. They are. Mm -hmm. I love those. I live by those. I create all of my content around those questions. That's genius. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Let's talk about kind of specifics once you're in Google Console. Why is that such a hard thing to say? Google Console. Every time I'm like. I think it's 20 O's maybe. Yeah. There's a lot of something in there. (laughs) If you wouldn't mind just kind of talking through First steps, if somebody has not been in console a lot and they're hoping to get in and get to know it a little bit better, can you talk us through some first steps for getting to know it? Yeah. First thing you want to make sure you're looking at is on the left side, it usually says performance. Sometimes it says search results. It really depends on your own console because God forbid they keep it consistent. <laughs> but oh, weird. But yeah. Huh. I've seen it because I'm in a bunch of those back end of console. So I've seen it differently. Um, the key I see typically is if they have the discover option, a whole other can of worms. But um, Yeah, what is the discover all about? Because I accidentally clicked on there the other day and I was like, wait a second, what is going on? Yeah. And then it took me a while to realize I was in the wrong place. So what is It's a that? mobile thing. So if you go on Google on your phone and then you kind of swipe over, it'll give you suggested content that Google thinks you'd want. It's almost like a feed that Google thinks you'd be interested on based on past searches. Oh. Yeah. It's what is it? That that card system that I can't think of right now. I don't know. There's like an app for it. Um, but it's a Google's way of just kind of taking what you've searched and saying, hey, this is some content you might be into. Usually it's seasonal. Um, a lot of my clients will be like for specific holidays like Fourth of July, their discover traffic will go way up. You have to opt into it. There's a way to opt into it. 
I've heard people not actually opting into it and getting it, but I think they probably did at some point and they just don't remember. But you have no control over it. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so on to the stuff that we can get information from. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, you go to search results um, or performance. It's on the left side, so you just have to kind of play around and figure out which one it is. But it'll bring up a big bar graph. Line graph, not bar graph. Don't listen to me. (laughs) so basically you can set it to different times and it gives you all the basic information you need from google so it gives you your ctr which is your click-through rates they base it on the impressions which are the number of people who have seen your link on google you know you scroll through google and you see you know you get all the top 10 results and you scroll past them that's an impression the people who click on that it's then a click obviously so the click-through rate is the Proportion of people who have the impressions versus clicks. What's a good click-through rate number? It really depends. Okay. <laughs> so number one, I usually tell people around twenty percent. If you're first, if you're the first result, you want around twenty percent. But then it really goes down through the different positions. So you know, I actually have a little thing next to my my computer, so I can kind of see. So in my world, when I'm looking at my clients' stuff. Um, second position, I usually look around 13%. Same for third position. Fourth position, I'm looking around 8%. Uh, same for fifth position. So eight or nine between fourth and fifth. Sixth position, I usually look at 6%. Seventh position is about 7%. Eighth position is about 7%. Ninth position is about 5%. And 10th position is about 8%. And I pulled this from one of those weird... Um, SEOE uh, websites online. So it's just kind of random guidelines. It's not set in stone, but it's a good way to tell if you look at one of your queries or one of your posts in the click-through rate, you're in the first position and you're getting 0.1% clicks. You want to change up that title and meta description to get entice people to click on it. Okay. I know that was a lot of information. No, that's good stuff. Once we're in here and we see that line graph and we can kind of see like over, if you have it set for the last three months, you can see how a specific post is doing, but you can also see your overall website and how it's doing. And then you get like the queries and the pages. So where do you recommend people looking first on this page? I like the queries personally. I think that if you look just at the pages, it has the chance to be misleading. I always tell people to go to queries first and then sort by position. So sort it so you're seeing your first query. Usually it's it's sorted usually by clicks, which is great, but it's probably what you already assumed your traffic is coming from. So it's sorted automatically by the post that has the most clicks. If you've never been into Search Console, look at that first. So you can kind of see which keywords, the queries are keywords, which queries are bringing you the most clicks. You'll probably see it's probably from all the same posts. It's probably all variations of the same keyword. So now you can see what Google is beginning to see you as an expert in. And then I like to sort by position. So I can see what what queries are in the first position, second, all the way down to, gosh, 100. But what I like to look at is the posts that are queries are in the eleventh position, because that means they're at the very top of the second page. 
So that kind of gives me an idea of things I should be updating and where I should put my efforts to. So when my clients are first seeing the search console, I'm always telling them, look at what's in the 11th spot because that content is easy to update. It's easy to give it a little bit of a push to get on the first page. Once you find a query that you think would work with your site, whatever you want to update it, maybe it's on the second page, click it and then go over to pages and it'll show you which pages that query is coming up for. Sometimes you'll be surprised and it's four or five different pages that are ranking for one query. And that usually tells me that you need some kind of cornerstone piece or roundup on that topic. So let's say it's like quick dinner and you have five or 10 different posts ranking in various spots for that. You want to do some kind of piece of content that's going to help Google see that you're an authority that you can interlink a lot. That's really valuable. I love it. Okay. So I love your recommendation for looking at what's on 11 because you want to get all that content to the first page. That's a really great place to start. And then, so I'm just going to tell you what I'm seeing when I open my queries and I sorted by impressions Mm -hmm. and I have goulash, goulash recipe, Hungarian goulash, American Mm -hmm. goulash. (laughs) And I only have two goulash recipes on my site. I have regular goulash and instant pot goulash. So now would you recommend that I do, because I really don't know what else to do relating to goulash. What should I do more? Putting the word goulash in or something surrounding goulash? So recently in June, Google put out an update that they are only letting different domains rank for a keyword twice per page. So people who were very, who made 30 different goulash recipes and were ranking maybe in seven for the word goulash, like they had seven different posts ranking for the word goulash really got a hit because they were no longer ranking. So Mm -hmm. instead, we want to think at the overall picture of what goulash is. It's an easy, comforting meal, right? So Mm -hmm. think about content that is reflective of that, that you can interlink. Hey, you don't like this ingredient in goulash. You might like this. Similar ingredients, similar styles of cooking. You don't want to do 18 different, you know, goulash and dairy-free goulash and then gluten-free goulash. And you don't want to keep going (laughs) on this. You know, you can go for days on the same topic, but eventually you're going to hit a wall. And then you also are really stuck in this goulash, which is a weird word to say now when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're stuck in this little box of goulash. And let's say this article comes out that goulash is really bad for you. You, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen, but you're totally putting yourself at a disadvantage. So, yeah. so do you recommend more focusing on the fact that it's a comfort food and yeah. kind of like maybe interlinking with that in mind? Yes. So okay. with, and I'm trying to think of you what goulash is. Is it the meat with the noodles? So it's elbow <laughs> macaroni with beef, ground beef and then like onions, tomato sauce and a few seasonings. Yeah. So exactly. So other kind, like I would say even like a hamburger helper, kind of a one pot thing, like that's, it's one pot, right? Yep. Yeah. So things that are like comforting, easy, quick weeknight dinners for the winter kind of stuff always it's going to do well for you because that's what Google is starting to see you as an expert. So So Google will see that those are similar and they'll 
set me as an expert. Eventually, eventually, because eventually, yes, it's not gonna. I've had people who are like a week later, like, okay, so it's not ranking. I'm like, yeah, it's probably <laughs> not going to rank yet. Calm down. Um, it takes a while. So how yeah. long does it take? Because I've heard like three months, six months. It's Google, right? Google does not like to tell anyone what it does. I say six weeks is when I typically start to see things doing its work. I don't touch it for three months. So if okay. it's three months, it's not moving up month over month. It's not. And I think the other thing to remember, and I, I, with my clients, I keep, I have SEO trackers and I keep track of this stuff for them, but look at if, is it going up at all? If it's staying stagnant, if you're like, okay, I did this cheeseburger casserole, whatever. I don't know why I'm saying that. Hamburger helper kind of at one pot, whatever. And it stayed at 80 for four months in a row. Okay. So we want to do something to it. We want to look at it and we're going to look at the competition. What is ranking and what are they doing that you're not? But if it's gone from 80 to 70 to 60 month over month, leave it be. It's going up. It's just not going up in the way our impatient brains want it to go. But it's still moving up. There is no right answer. Yeah, that's a good kind of guidepost, though. So it should be moving at least in the right direction a little bit. And if it's not, then we can jump in. But you recommend kind of like hands off for three months, make the changes, and then just let it do its thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I, I do my own content. So I tell my clients to do their content. It's just such a waiting game. And we live in such an impatient society yeah. that I get it. But at the same time, touching it too much could put you at a disadvantage because if it's going up and then you touch it and then it stays stagnant, there's probably something that Google liked about it before. It just maybe it's really high competition or it's just taking a while or you don't have the authority yet for that. You don't get some more backlinks, you know, start getting that social proof, that kind of stuff. If you're really patient on it. Yeah, this is, this is great stuff. So, okay, we've kind of covered how to dig into Search Console. Queries, you recommend starting there. Yeah. And then just keeping an eye on the, those top queries and building cornerstone recipes around that or posts around that. Mm-hmm. Also keeping an eye on position 11, and do like 11 through 20 or? Yeah. And so 11 through 20 means it's on the, on the second page. When I'm looking for content to update, I'm always looking at 11 first because that's the easiest. Just give it a little bit of love and a little, there's a chance, higher chance it'll go on the first page. It just needs a little bit of a bump, especially if it's something you haven't touched in forever. Even if it's 21, it depends on the keyword, the season. Yeah. The whole, but yeah, 11 is usually where I tell people to look for. But if you do all the 11s and you're just killing it, go down to the 12s, the 13s. Just keep moving down until you have, you're out of options and then just keep going towards that. I love it. Okay. So after that, we can kind of start building our editorial calendar. Mm-hmm. Do you have other recommendations for using Search Console to put a con- editorial calendar together? So the biggest thing I always try, especially if you do not have dates in your URLs, my favorite thing in the whole wide world is republishing content, updating it and republishing it as new content. So I yes. actually make editorial calendars. I have a client, her entire editorial calendar for the last, which is working about six months, has been nothing but republished content. Nothing but republished content. And her traffic's up, her positioning is up because she's improving the content that's already on Google and making it more user-friendly, making it, giving it more value. Um, so she's instead of reinventing the wheel and doing all this brand new content, she's just 
participating country that's on the edge of ranking. And nobody probably even knows that it's other content. (laughs) No one has any. I know. I think that in our own creative, we have a bit of an ego about things. We think that people are going to notice. Yeah. And I'm sorry to tell all of you, (laughs) no one is noticing. (laughs) Your mom might, she might say, hey, didn't you just do this last year or six months ago or whatever it is? Um, I usually wait a year. I should say that too. Yeah, but no one, no one is noticing. Um, I do yeah. put a disclosure on there just for Google standards. They like that. They want you to say this post was originally published X date. It has since been updated for. I usually write user experience on X date. Oh, that's a great little nugget. I like that. I think I usually do say, but I don't always say when. So yeah, that's Google a good likes one. that. Especially now, there's actually structured data code uh, to do it. So they, so Google can kind of read it and they, it helps them know that it's been updated. Yeah, that makes sense. So you mentioned if you have older posts that do have dates in the permalink, what do you do with those? You update them, but you do not change, do not change, do not change the URL, please. That's A, it's giving you a bunch of 404s and breaking links. And, you know, if you have stuff doing well on Pinterest, then you have to do a redirect another barrier for Google to hit, especially if you've already redirected from HTTP to HTTPS, Mm -hmm. another redirect. So don't touch that. Just update it and leave it be. So you can do this whole update, but don't republish it as new content. I would say with that, um, with my clients that have that, we just put their published content. I'm doing air quotes. Um, they <laughs> published content to one a week and then they update content and promote it just the way they normally would. They do new pins for it. They put it on Instagram, put it on Facebook, they put it through their email list the same way they would with new content. It's just, they're not publishing it to their feed or to their front page. Gotcha. Yeah. That is great stuff. I am totally soaking all of this in. <laughs> what do you use to manage an editorial calendar from Google console? Do you put everything in there? And what do you use to kind of manage that? I am a real big spreadsheet nerd, which shouldn't surprise anyone since I love Google console so much. But I just use a plain old Google Sheets. I have a like a mini course on how I use it. But yeah, I just use Google Sheets. I know people use pen and paper. I don't like that because I don't like scrolling things. And I hate if I move things. I hate not being able to move things around. Like life happens. And I always tell my clients, my goal is always to get them a month ahead. So your kids get sick. You don't have to worry about it. You know, you want to go on vacation. You're not worried about it. But I hate having to scribble things out on paper calendars. So I use Google hmm, Google Sheets. I know people who use Asana, who use Trello, who use just the Google Calendar. Um, but I just like Google Sheets because I can kind of also then use it to track positioning and if I've done the right shares, if I've done this, if I've done that. There are a lot of free options that are really good for managing content, I yeah. think. So just kind of find what fits you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of with you. I went away from using paper. I use paper forever. Same. And my husband teased me for the longest time. He was like, are you living with the dinosaurs? Like <laughs> what in the world? And so finally I made the switch and it's like this whole world opened up like, oh my gosh, I can just move it around mm-hmm. just like that. It's amazing. It's a bit of a mindset shift because if you're a hardcore paper planner person, and I was, I loved it, but I also found I was spending way too much time on my paper planner, making it pretty and like putting things the way I wanted. And I was just wasting time on it. 
So with a spreadsheet, I can just move things around and just pop things where they go. And the cool thing about a spreadsheet is if you have a VA, you can share it with them and they can see things and then they can put their notes and you can keep track of which get super weird nerdy with it. Like say, let's say you had your content calendar on one column and then you have the different steps you have to complete a, t- a post. So maybe it's like taking photos, editing photos, writing the content, keyword research, whatever it is, you can put X's in it. You can have your, make sure your VA and you are on the same page. If it's like create a pinnable image, they can X that out. They, they did it. So, you know, that's done. Um, and then you can really see what you need at a glance, what needs to be done before your editorial calendar for the next week is done or whatever it is. My VA and I use color coding yeah. and I, we love it. I love it. <laughs> I don't know if she loves it, but I love it. <laughs> no, I will say, so I am an executive admin for, for Jenny Mahal. And she's not allowed to touch my spreadsheets anymore because she used too much. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> she went overboard. <laughs> yeah. So then this is not like a secret story. So I'm not <laughs> <laughs> But she's not allowed to touch the spreadsheets anymore because she went way overboard. And then she would forget what the colors were. So if you're oh. going to use color, have a key. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> so you can go overboard with color. You so can. <laughs> be careful. It can be kind of overwhelming when we see the error messages and all the fixes we need to address in platforms like Google Console and like, oh my gosh, there's so many recipes that we could update and so many things that we can do to improve our ranking with Google. Do you have any advice about how to look past what is wrong and to just get started on fixing the errors that need to be fixed and like updating the posts that need to be updated? Yeah. So... With the errors, if you see anything that specifically says error, like it's red and Google saying this is an error, you want to fix that. Errors will actually, you know, ding you in Google. Google does not like errors. It's Google literally telling you, hey, you need to fix this. But if it's just a yellow warning, ignore it. Don't worry about it. So I always say if you have, when I go to my clients and I go to their search console, I say, okay, you have these specific errors. You need to fix them. But in terms of updating content, and especially with recipe bloggers, because I get it, like you made all these recipes when you didn't even know what you were doing with your life and it looked <laughs> horrible. You maybe took the pictures with your phone and you're like, I want to do all the things. I want to update all of these posts. So again, go on a console and what is going to be the most thing for your buck? What is your time is valuable. When I was a kid, my dad taught me to put a value on my time and then that's how I'd figure out like, okay, my, and this takes me an hour and my time is worth $30 an hour, whatever it is. That's how I always decide like, what is the return on this investment of time? Um, That's why I like to go to search console. If it's ranking on the second page, update those first. If it's seasonal, it right now, we're doing this in September. If it's a Christmas post, update it now because those RPMs you will not get in January. So seasonal content, I always say update first. Of content that's on the edge of ranking update first. If you have a kind of ego thing about, oh my gosh, I need to update this post that no one has ever looked at in my life because the pictures are no good and it makes me feel bad about myself, <laughs> but no one's looking for it. Girl, move on. <laughs> it's not worth it. Your time is more valuable than that. Yeah. So it's kind of just really a matter of planning your time out and blocking time to do these things and kind of do upkeep for your and maintenance for your blog 
and just making it happen and focusing on, like you said, Morgan seasonal and also holidays that might be coming up. Yeah. I always tell my clients, like, take your ego out of it. Take yourself out of it. If you need to send it to your friend, be like, hey, I'm too deep in this. My heart is too much in this right now. Can you just look at it for me and tell me what you think would be the best return on my time investment? That's always really great. Having outsiders look at things for you is always helpful because you're so deep into it that it's sometimes hard to see your own. My friend always says, don't call my baby ugly. (laughs) Your blog is your baby. So it's hard to see sometimes the errors in your blog when you're like, okay, this is, you're so hyper-focused on specific things, but really you should focus on And honestly, it's kind of hard hearing the things that are wrong with our blogs, like our children, like comparing it to children too. When people say like something about my boys that might be true, but it's hard to hear. Or if someone tells me something about my blog, it's, it's hard, but it's really important to step back and look at it from another perspective like you're talking about, because we are in it. We've poured our hearts and our souls into these blogs and we just don't want to see the bad, Mm -hmm. but Sometimes it's good to step back and look at it from another perspective. I really like that. And the dip, that is what differentiates it from a business to a hobby. If it's all you and it's just your opinions, then it's a hobby. If it's a business and you're looking at it from a business mindset, like this is going to make me income. This is my job. That's the real difference in my mind. I love it. Okay. I want to talk to you a little bit about productivity, but first, can you just outline for us what your business systems to skyrocket offers and how it helps food bloggers create more content and not only that, but the content that people are wanting to see? Yeah. So basically what I do is I do all the nerdy stuff for people. So no one likes to deal with search consoles, so I don't make them. Instead, I do it for them. So I have a membership site where I help people they, I get going to their search console and month to month, I give them kind of analysis of what I'm seeing on search console. So I'm saying, hey, these are the errors I'm seeing. Fix them. Here are some, here are four posts that you need that are on the edge of ranking or it's seasonal or whatever it is. Update these first and here are some keywords to use. Um, I do keyword analyses. So I do this crazy super nerd document for everyone where they give me their topic and I go find a keyword for them. And then I say, okay, here is the keyword and here is the primary keywords, the secondary keywords. Here are those questions you need to be answering. Here's what your competition's doing. This is what I'm seeing in Google. Here is what I think you can rank for. And also what I'm seeing on Pinterest. So I know we've all, we're not really talking about Pinterest. In my analyses, I say on Pinterest, I'm seeing that only eight out of, or eight out of 10 have no text overlay or eight out of 10 are the recommended 600 by 900 size. Sometimes it's very surprising for to see it, but I like to look at what's already doing well because there's a reason it's doing well. And then I help my full-time clients create their editorial calendars based on Search Console, based on what's doing well. I help them with the analyses, all that good stuff. It's, it's valuable <laughs> stuff. It's very valuable. I love that. Okay, so we are kind of running out of time, but I want to cover productivity just for a few minutes. It's a topic that I'm mildly obsessed with. I think it's so fascinating to, through 
trial and error, figure out what our individual strengths are and to figure out how each of us works best to be super productive and crank out just a ton of content because that's one of our main missions as food bloggers, right? Producing as much quality content as possible and getting it out into the world. Am I right by saying that there is no one answer for how each of us can be the most productive, that we need to figure out strategies that work for each of us individually? And is there a way to use Google Console to help us figure this out? A hundred percent. There is no right or wrong, unless the only wrong you think is if you're only doing like one post at a time and you're spending 8 billion years on it and every single aspect. I think I'm a big fan of batching and I try to convince everyone to at least try batching once. Um, and that's really where console comes in. You make that editorial calendar. You find similar strains within the content that you're going to be posting and then you do them all at once, whether you know, it's Christmas cookies, you know, you want to do four different Christmas cookies. And let's say three of them are sugar cookie base. Um, we're going to make a big batch of sugar cookie dough. We're going to make them all at once. Um, but yeah, it's really figuring out what works for you. For me, it was always doing the batching of creating four or five. Once I did 12 recipes, that was a very exhausting time. Wow. <laughs> it, was a, it was a long day. A lot of dishes. And that's the other thing that we don't think about as food bloggers. Like your dishes that you have to do, that's time out of your day. Oh that's, my gosh, yes. Yeah. So if you only have to do the dishes once, that's saving you time. It seems like so silly and so obvious. As food bloggers, a lot of us started like, this is what I'm having for dinner. I'm going to take pictures of it, then give it to my kids. Then I'm going to do a blog post about it. Yeah. Which is great, except you're relying on what you made for dinner to work and to be able to pick this right, the light to be right. And your kids not to be screaming in the background because they're super hungry um, <laughs> and they're starving. Um, but it's just, if you're not planning around that, you're wasting time. So you're not being the most productive person. And again, it kind of comes down to hobby versus business. If it's a business for you, it's okay to spend a whole day cooking and baking. Um, if it's a hobby, it makes sense to just do make dinner and then take pictures of it and post it. So really all of this is kind of coming together. Like all of your points from earlier tie into productivity as well. Yeah, exactly. And I am a huge fan of batching. I did not used to be. Like you were saying, I started out just like, I'm going to make a steak salad tonight and just kind of winging it. Yeah. But then I figured out that if I actually lumped tasks together, that I was way more productive. And that that goes for everything. That goes for planning my calendar. That goes for cooking and filming. And like you said, if I have a huge sink full of dishes I want to do that once a week yeah. I do not want to do that three times a week I don't have a dishwasher in my house it's Ouch. Like, <laughs> exactly so I don't want to do these dishes more than I have to um the yeah. other thing in terms of editorial calendar like if you're doing let's say you're doing a chipotle burrito bowl that all those components are blog posts you've got the beans you've got the chipotle rice you've got chicken you've got fajita vegetables the salsa and then you've got another post on just the burrito bowl so it's six posts, one meal. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love thinking ahead in that way. And like I could put all of this together, make one recipe technically, mm-hmm. but then you're providing information on different aspects of the recipe too. Exactly. And then also I think for me anyway, I just get into a flow when I'm batching. Like yeah. if I start writing and then I have to stop and edit photos, then it's like it kind of interrupts my 
creative flow, but if I can do it all in one big chunk, and I know not everybody agrees with this because a lot of people like breaks and like 25 minutes off, whatever. I don't do that. I just like work really hard, like as much as I can all day. And then I get so much done and I'm exhausted, but I'm super productive on those days. There's actually science behind that. Like the psychology of it, your brain uses different parts to edit photos than it does to write content. So if you are doing for every single post, going from editing photos to writing content, it takes like 10, 15 minutes just for your brain to go from, okay, I'm no longer doing this specific task of editing photos. I'm now writing content. If you're editing all of your photos at once for five different posts, whatever it is, you're going to go faster. It might take 10 minutes for you to get into it. And that's, I feel like a lot of us feel that rut and then we get stuck in it. But if you can get past that initial brain transition, you're more effective. Yeah. So it is, it's counterproductive not to batch. Yeah. (laughs) So I like that you've repeated this throughout our talk too. Just like if you haven't tried batching, just give it a try. Yeah. Even on a small scale and and build from there. But Mm -hmm. 100%, I agree Uh, with you. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Something like that. So I am taking up so much of your day. I've just loved this chat. I could do this all day. I could too. So maybe I should just call you later. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Is there anything important that we've missed that you feel like you want to add right now about anything we've talked about today? Um, <laughs> I think really it's just figuring out what Google is seeing you as an authority, figuring out what you want to be seen as an authority, and then working around that, like really striving to make that happen. Sounds I simple, love it. But <laughs> so simple. <laughs> easier said than done, but at the same time, kind of part of the job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Morgan, I hate to wrap up today, but I suppose I should do that. And I know that my <laughs> listeners are going to find a ton of value in everything you said. I have. I know I have. So thank you for sharing your expertise with us in this area. It has been a pleasure talking to you. And just thank you for taking the time out today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. <laughs> This was super fun. Before you go, do you have a favorite quote beyond what you've already shared or words of inspiration for our fellow food bloggers? Yeah. So mine is always Ben Franklin. If you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. So I'm obviously a big fan of planning and getting stuff done. But, you know, if you sit at your computer, what am I going to do today? Chances are you won't get much done. Oh, I've been there. And yes, you're so right. I love that quote. (laughs) So Morgan has a list of favorite resources relating to this topic and how it relates to food blogging. These can be found on her show notes page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Morgan W. Morgan, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. Yeah. So uh, if you want to learn more about Systems Skyrocket, you can go to systemstoskyrocket.com slash home and that'll kind of just bring you to the hub. I have a blog, morganmanagesmommyhood.com. And then I'm, you can usually find me on Instagram at morganmanages, even though I spent the summer not on Instagram. Nice. (laughs) I sit on it anyway. (laughs) Well, thank you, Morgan. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.